can certainly tell you tonight's message is not polished. <laughs> it's not three points with two subpoints. It's not drawn from a text. It's just drawn from the text, the Word of God. But I did make a picture because I'm me. We're going to look at His ways. And I can tell you that His way is best. Amen. There are times that I want to say to God what Mary and Martha said when he showed up too late. Lord, where are you? <laughs> and sometimes I want to say, Lord, this thinketh. They said he stinketh, but this thinks. It does. One thing I've known since I began earnestly walking with the Lord is that my feelings cannot cause me to doubt God. <clears throat> that is the trap that Satan wants us all to fall into. It's how he gets us to start questioning God. It's how he causes us to become angry with God and ultimately become embittered towards God. And so I can't, as a pastor, explain tonight to Judy why Earl, in a car accident, had his health declined to the point where he passed away. Yes, Earl was 82 on the way to 83, and that, we could argue, is the natural course of life. But it's still hard, as a pastor, to explain that. But it's harder still to explain... To Stephanie, why David at age 40 had to pass away suddenly. The only solace, and there's not much that I've taken except for the fact that God is God and I can trust Him, the only solace I can take comes from the fact that Earl always greeted you all on the way in. And David always comment, that guy at the door is one of the nicest guys I know. <laughs> and they both went home to heaven the same day and greeted each other there. I can tell you this this evening, that God loves us with an everlasting love. But his ways are not ours. His plans are not ours. It is times like these in my own life that I have to hold on to the one unchanging truth, and that is God's Word. Right. Really, in life, you have three choices. You have choice number one, you don't believe in a God. You just reject God altogether. All that happens just happens, and all you can do is find a way to enjoy the good times and survive the bad. That's a miserable way to live not true either from the word of God but it's a miserable way to live the second reality that some choose to believe in is that there is a God and he doesn't care about you that he's a maniacal being in heaven that just toys with humanity if this were true all you could do would be to ignore the cruelty and the 
chaos that he built into this system that drives us mad. We'd be nothing more than guinea pigs or lab rats. And I also know that's not true. The third is the reality that the Bible teaches. And that is this. There is a God. He loves you. And the world that he made for us was ruined by someone or something other than him. That's the reality. We know the facts. We know the Bible. But those are the three realities that man has to deal with. There is no God. There's a God in heaven that turned it all on and doesn't care about any of us. He doesn't care what happens to us. Or there's a God that created this world and created it perfect and does love us. Obviously, as a pastor, this is the one I believe. You say, well, you choose to believe it, some might say. And the answer is, yes, I choose to believe it. Everyone chooses to believe in something. I choose to believe it because it's based on facts of his creation. It's based on the revelation I have in his word. So tonight, what I want us to do is walk through some Bible passages, and as a church family, hopefully encourage and strengthen us so that we have the Bible, not our feelings, but the Bible to fall back on. I can tell you that within 24 hours, I'll be preaching two services of two godly men who love the Lord Jesus Christ, who love their spouses, love their children, and serve their Savior. And so some of these thoughts will be in those sermons, but each of those sermons is uniquely their own. And so is this one. First, uh, this evening, I want us to understand that his way is best. Here in Isaiah 55, we have a wonderful passage that teaches us about salvation. It teaches us about what God has given to us. The first verses are encouraging. They say this in verse number one. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, be, <clears throat> and he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. That, friends, is a picture of salvation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He goes on and talks about things in which we should be living as. But what I want to draw our attention to is verses 8 and 9. It's the one that we so often quote and so often we forget where it is within the context when we quote it. says in verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Contextually, he's talking about his plan of salvation and sanctification are beyond what we understand. There is certainly truth in the fact that when God works and when God allows events to play, and when the things of this life come upon us, that there are going to be things that happen that we can't explain. We just don't understand. The human heart is filled with questions for God. Questions like why? Questions like how? This is why we wrestle with our faith. Because sometimes we want God to answer on our turn. Job made that mistake. And thankfully his faith rescued him in the end. But 
The question then is begged, how can we fully trust a God that we don't understand? And the answer is because he's our God. He's a personal and intimate God. Sometimes we might even ask this question. How can we have faith when God's ways might seem cruel to us? The answer comes in the fact that when we try to comprehend God's ways, we become frustrated. The prophet tells us that his ways are higher than ours. His actions often do not make sense to us because we are mortal and we have earthbound minds. And that is often the only salve we can put upon some of the deepest wounds in our soul. We question God's ways when young people die, when tragedies strike righteous people. Even sometimes when we see the wicked prosper, we wonder. So it is in those times that we go to heaven's door, banging as loud as we possibly can, and demanding from an, an answer from heaven, and the only answer we're given is, my ways are higher than your ways. From earth looking up, we often just see confusion. But from heaven looking down, God sees a plan unfolding. It is his plan. We can only see our small piece of the puzzle. God sees always the finished work. God is the great weaver of the tapestry of time, and our lives are but strings in it. And may I say to you, if you are God's child, he loves you as a string in it. You are instrumental to his plan. Yeah. Right. Even in the lowest valley. Mm -hmm. Right. When we live our lives in accordance and in step with his plan, that is obedience to his word, we can have absolute confidence that even when the worst of life happens to us, God is still in control. Amen. That's how you hold to that verse and use it appropriately in your life. So often I hear people will casually throw that around when they're late for work. Can I tell you what? That verse has nothing to do with being late to work. It has everything to do with the deepest valleys that we walk through because of the great salvation he has provided for us. The psalmist said it this way, Psalm 145 and verse 17, The Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. Amen. And we right. can but say amen to it. Mike has used this verse with me before, perhaps in the quietness of an hour when I've asked the question of, why did that happen? Deuteronomy 29, 29, the first part of that verse says this, the secret things belong unto the Lord, our God. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know the worst feeling as a pastor? 
is not having an answer that answers. Jessica knows that that's what the last two days really have been for me. It's probably more selfish to be truthful. We know that his way is best. The second thing that we know is that his wisdom is best. Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36. Turn there and look at that with me, if you will. says at the end of chapter 11, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, his ways, past finding out. We just read about that in Isaiah 55. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been his counsel? In other words, who has corrected him in his path? And the answer is none. Or who hath given, who, who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him to again. In other words, who's given to God, and God hasn't taken care of them. The last verse, I think, is the one for us to trust in his wisdom. For of him, through him, and to him are all things. To whom, that is God, be glory forever. Amen. Jessica and I were visiting with you on Tuesday, Stephanie. I noted David still has his discipleship book right next to his chair. <coughs> we did discipleship on Tuesdays at 2 o'clock. He had his pen and his paper out, ready to go. You know what Jessica told me when we left? She said, well, he's learning from a better teacher now. <laughs> Amen to that. As a church family, as we approach Miss Judy and as we approach Stephanie and each of their losses this week, we need to be careful not to give trite answers, but rather give true answers. None of us knows God's plan, but he does. That is the beauty of his omniscience. Yeah, right. It's the power of his omniscience. His way is best, his wisdom is best. Next we find his will is best. Jeremiah 29 and verse 11 is a wonderful truth. It says this, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Thoughts of peace and not evil. That's a good thought. That's something to hold on to. This verse reflects a pretty broad and general principle of God's grace. It's particularly used of his care for Israel and how he would bring them back out of the 70-year captivity. That's its context and its particular use. But it speaks to the principle of God's grace 
and affection to those whom he loves. His thoughts towards those whom he loves. And by the way, who does he love? The Bible says, Romans 5, 8, God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loves the whole world, but his love is only effective and actual to those who have received his love. He cannot have thoughts towards those who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. He cannot have thoughts towards them of peace and not evil. He cannot have thoughts of them of a pleasant or an expected or desired end. It's only to those that love him and are called according to his purpose. I found out something. It's the beauty, hopefully, of a pastor always being engaged in some form of discipleship. David and I were a lot alike. He ran from God, and his parents prayed for a long time that he would get saved. You know when he got saved? February. When Stephanie got saved, Corbin got saved. Do you know how they heard about the church? From a bulldozer driver. Wasn't that what you are, Scotty? He's pushing trees down on their property. He said, you know, you all ought to come to church with us. You ought to come visit us. I know Scotty probably said, we have a pastor that's not half bad. <laughs> I can tell you, brother, that his father is eternally grateful that you were kind enough to share Jesus with him. God here promises Israel, but likewise we believers of the New Testament, certain things that are not applicable to the whole of the human race. For those who are in Christ, from Jeremiah 29 and verse 11, we know that his will towards us is good. God has promised that our sins are forgiven in the word of God. God has promised us that we stand before him justified in Jesus Christ. God has promised us that the life that is eternal in him given to us is everlasting. We are finite being. We have a beginning, but we will never have an end if we know Christ is our Savior. Amen. That's right. Earl and David met at the front door of heaven on Monday night. And they probably said, what are you doing here? <laughs> Neither wanted to be there at that moment, but they were certainly glad to be there in that moment. God has plans for those in Christ, and those plans, the Bible teaches us, are good. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 29 is the passage, verse 28, excuse me, uh, verse 28 specifically is the one that we often have quoted when someone is in the hospital. But here's what the Bible says in verse 26 about what the work of the Holy Spirit does. This is what Jessica and I were talking about this afternoon, afternoon as we were waiting for dinner to finish, sitting in our kitchen. There's nothing we actually can do to help. But there's everything the Spirit of God can do to help. 
Romans 8 and verse 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. I can promise you that on Tuesday, there was the first time, probably in my whole life, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to say to God. Staff probably thought I was half crazy. I came in here and walked around this auditorium for probably 30 minutes. I don't, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to say to him. I didn't know what to say when I went out and met Stephanie. I just didn't know what to say. So the only thing I knew how to do is to take my Bible and walk around. I don't know if that solved anything. But I know that there was a lot of groanings in my spirit of words that couldn't even be uttered. It couldn't be formalized. There, words, there wasn't words that would fit in my mouth. Bible goes on to say he searcheth the hearts. He that searcheth the hearts, excuse me, knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And then comes that great verse. And we know. Because of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, because of our prayer life, because of the interpretation, if you will, that the Spirit does in heaven on the heaviness of our hearts before the throne room of God. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. That means believers. His way, his wisdom, his will, and finally his work is best. Isaiah 46, verses 9, 10, and 11, you have a wonderful broad picture <coughs> Of God working, but he's not working through Israel. He's working through a pagan king. And there's a wonderful passage, a snippet of passage within the fact that God is saying, look, in fact, verse 12, he calls this king, this, this uh, Cyrus is who it was, he calls him a raven that he's going to bring. In the midst of that, here's what God says. He says, remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, things that haven't happened yet, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. I'm going to be very careful here. I don't know that God is pleased in the things that have happened, but God takes pleasure in obedience through the difficulty. God never desired for man to die. He wanted us in Adam and Eve to live forever, eternally, not even knowing death. But sin bringeth forth death. And the fall cursed us all. And short of the rapture happening, there by the grave though we all. And so knowing Christ on this side of it is the only thing that's important. When we think of God's work, I think of this psalm, and this is a psalm that I will be using in both sermons this coming weekend. It's a prayer that I think you should be praying for those, and in just a moment when I finish, I'm going to have several men in here that I've asked to pray tonight, specifically because of the struggling families that we have, hurting homes in our midst. Here it is, Psalm 34, beginning in verse 17, it says this, The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth. And delivereth them out of all their troubles. Verse 18. The Lord is nigh unto them 
that are of a broken heart. And saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. The word contrite here doesn't mean you need to seek forgiveness. The word contrite means crush. God knows exactly who we are. He knows our friends. He knows what happens when hurt comes. It goes on in verse 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivered them out of them all. I don't always like the way things are. I don't always like the way that things go or what happens. But I am always confident in the way in which God leads. It may be in the shadow and storm. And some of them may be bigger than we think we can weather. But the apostles thought the same thing. God is faithful and loving to carry us through, even when we cannot at that time see how. He loves us and he will reward us eternally for our faithfulness in both sunshine and shadow. this time I would like some of the men that I've asked to pray to pray at this time instead of breaking into smaller groups I enjoy that immensely I think it's a wonderful burden bearing thing that we do week after week after week as a church here but tonight I think it would be good for us to remain relatively still and to pray TJ and Shane if you can